Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Vera, who is a Finnish detransitioner. This is our third conversation in as many years, and I love being able to do this, especially with somebody that I have such affinity to, such as Vera, to chart her development over the course of time. And in this conversation, we talk about earlier conversations where it was revealed that Vera grew up as an orphan after her mother and father committed suicide. We don't get into the details of that, but the echo of that trauma still reverberates through her life. And so that is kind of what we talk about while we talk about her struggles being an artist and just developing into adulthood. She's a wonderful person. You can find her work online. I'll link it in the description. And I don't think I need to say anything else other than do check out our previous conversations so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about if you feel at all lost. But I think it's pretty much accessible as it is. So without further ado, here is Vera. I think in Finland there is doctors working at the gender clinics who are against the ideology stuff and they have made public statements and so on. So it's not fully occupied by the crazies. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a battleground for that yeah. and activism and all of that. Do you... And we passed the law for uh, self-identification. So now anyone can change their legal uh, gender marker by an announcement. Oh. Yeah. I am a woman! That's all you have to do? Like over yeah. the intercom? Is there like a national intercom service? I am here to inform you that I am now a woman. Yeah, you can only do it once a year. That's the only limitation. <laughs> and it's for adults only. And the activists were trying to push so that minors could also self-identify and change their legal gender marker, but that wasn't the case. Okay. So huh. they settled on that. And I think the whole process was a bit nonsensical and ideological and I guess they tried to weigh in different opinions and so on but it was demonized in the media that they are listening to the wrong people and yeah, yeah. so they didn't really take into consideration like the experiences of other European countries who have like had that legislation earlier than us and the experiences from prisons and so on and the cases that have already come up in Scotland and different places. So yeah. I think it was weird that there is already evidence that it shouldn't be based on self-identification and so on, and it will cause more problems, but we still change the law now, even though yeah. it should be obvious that it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, jeez, the prisons thing is really disturbing. Yes. And in Finland, actually, we only have one uh, serial killer, and he has killed women. And he made a statement at some point that he identifies as a woman. So I think he tried <laughs> to get into a women's prison. So it's literally like we only have one serial killer, and he's doing that, and he's killing women. And like, but I guess at the time he was trying to do that then we didn't have the self-ID law and it didn't go through. So I think he's still in a men's prison. So. Interesting. Well, maybe. 
On the bright side, if he identifies as a woman, he'll Epstein himself or he'll Bundy himself. And then there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you can't Epstein yourself. You would have to have Hillary Clinton do that for you. But you, you get my drift, right? Yeah. But it's, are you? Yeah. Do you speak out? Do you feel compelled to speak out? Or you just want to live your life at this point? Other than just talking to me and doing YouTube things, do you show up and try to submit your opinion to the political process? No, I haven't been involved in anything. I've been just trying to get my own life back together and to yeah. focus on graduating, getting a job, working, and learning about personal finances and becoming an adult and getting my shit together. So yeah. I've been more focused on that rather than the culture wars and activism and so on and so on. Yeah. And I also wanted to graduate without being cancelled and I managed to do that. So Good job. Yes. So I, I've been laying low and I haven't been that active on YouTube either. And I try not to be as chronically online as I've been oh. for half of my life. So, yeah. So yeah. in the absence of the Internet, what are you how are you developing? Well, I go back and forth with YouTube stuff. I'm not on any social media platforms. I haven't been on any social media platforms for a while now. And on my YouTube channel, I keep quitting, coming back and making my videos private or members only. So I'm a little bit in between, like, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to disappear completely from online? But at the same time, I feel this like moral obligation to speak against all this nonsense and so on. So yeah. I'm a little bit lost in that, like what to do. Yeah. And when it comes to arts, I'm also like trying to stay motivated and to like find it worth what fighting for and not to give in to the like nihilistic view of the art world and the identity uh and victimhood and all of that nonsense but it's a bit difficult because then i don't know either you play the games or you don't and like if i want to be successful then i have to take huh. a stand or something i don't know yeah so huh. yeah it's, it's a little bit tricky but mainly i've been just focusing on my own life like I was trying to think like what I've been doing for the past year, like since the last time we talked and I realized that, yeah, it's been mainly just me focusing on my own life. Finally, being less chronically online and yeah, yeah. just trying to get my own shit together. Well, how intellectually, what have you been struggling, wrestling with, engaging with? Mm, well, First, I was just trying to graduate and do my thesis and so on. And then my thesis ended up being this critique of everything. But also, like, I tried not to just critique, but to also come up with some sort of alternative solutions or something. I don't know. But I also kind of just needed to get it out of my system and yeah, so on. Okay. 
and it was in in a way it was like very cathartic process because I realized like yeah well no one is going to read this anyway nobody cares like I'm graduating from art school like my thesis it's like like I can say anything and I'm not going to get cancelled because nobody cares no one will read it so I kind of got rid of the fear of speaking my mind so in that sense it was very good to go through that process but also it was kind of sad because I kept writing my thesis and these like different versions of it and critique of this and that and that and then like the suggestions and feedback I got from my teachers is like hey have you read this book glitch feminism like maybe you could be interested in this it has something about uh, how you create your identity in online spaces or something and I already knew it's some garbage but I read it anyway and I was like this is the worst thing I've ever read in my life and then like I'm just being dramatic but <laughs> yeah, yeah I know but glitch feminism yes it's an American writer I think from New York and it's about that you have to glitch the system you have to become a glitch in the system and you have to become a virus and spread like a virus and glitch your body and existence and the system and the binary. And it's the most chronically online, nonsensical, out of touch with reality thing ever. Okay. But the saddest thing about the book was that at the end of the book, there was a list of American universities where the writer has been like giving lectures and teaching about this nonsense. And I was like, huh. yeah, this is the art school stuff that like no matter what what i say i'm given more of the same nonsense like even when i'm trying to critique it they don't have anything alternative to point at like hey maybe you could be interested in this but it's just more of the same nonsense okay. And I'm like, okay so yeah but i got it done and didn't get cancelled now it's over i'm out <laughs> i don't have to be in that environment but now mainly, like intellectually, I've been thinking about that, like, well, how to win the culture wars, what to do, where to go, what am I doing with my own life? And mainly how to get rid of the woke mindset and deconstructing and problematizing. Like, even though I no longer live that activist life and so on and so on, I still find myself thinking in that way like that thinking pattern is so ingrained in my brain <laughs> that at this yeah. point like i don't know how to just live my life focus on my life enjoy things and not do look at everything and problematize yeah and it, it it's it's so weird <laughs> but it it's something i'm i'm trying to learn how to do i uh i spent a lot of time in my 20s writing writing novels I wrote tons and tons and tons and tons and uh you know after going through and sitting down and writing every day for several years and then giving up on it and going back to it and and just investing so much time into it and then stepping away from it again because I ended up on YouTube and then I have like this job, which is kind of artsy and, and it's communication and there's actual, actually an audience. I'm not just like building like some sort of imagined audience that I'm speaking to in the future. Um, I'm actually engaging with people in the moment, you know, and then 
for some reason or another, I was, I moved and I found my old books again. You know, I printed, I, what I would do is I'd write them and then I'd print them up so I could see them as an object, right? Because I really like the tactility of, of the book as a book. And uh, I found this one that I wrote. Um, this it, It's uh, got an interesting story. It's called The Blackbird Variations, but this is version five of it or volume five, depending on how you look at it. And uh, I wrote this several times. One time I, I wrote it and I totally forgot that I had written, rewritten it again. And then that's what I used to, to flesh it out. And now I'm going back through it again, which always goes to say that it is the, uh, it's kind of, it's based on the postmodern mindset in a very particular way, not the deconstructionist social justice woke mindset where you're always problematizing everything according to systems of power, right? So when you say problematizing, you're, you're meaning a very specific thing, like there's a power imbalance or something like that. And you could probably flesh that out more, but this is more about just always being outside and commenting on commenting and commenting. So it's not just problematizing by distilling everything into a oppressive matrix or privilege oppression matrix, but it's it's always stepping out and always like breaking through a fourth wall and trying to find substance in distance, trying to find intimacy in distance. And it's interesting because so I'm going back and I'm rewriting it again. And you have these layers and layers and layers of me rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and making commentary on me rewriting. And and so it, it folds into itself. So it's going to be an interesting challenge to find the heart inside of this infinite game that I'm playing with myself, like that I've been playing with myself, I guess the first version of this version of the Blackbird Variations was from 2003. So it's 20 years of me like writing this uh, thing, yeah. putting it down, picking it back up, you know? So there's all these different selves of me and all these different states of me trying to be a writer, you know, like you have this anxious, clever guy that wants to prove that he's a good writer. And then this guy over here, me, that just doesn't want to prove anything other than this, there's something here that I want others to enjoy. So now I need to make it enjoyable rather than about myself, right? So I don't know why I bring that up, but uh, other than just say that, you know, that I have an earlier version of the virus that is not necessarily Marxist, but is very postmodern. It's very outside of any given story telling. It's always making a commentary. It's more situated in the commentary on any given form than just being in the form. Like here is a fairy tale. Here is a love story. Like, and this is all it is. I can't just be that way. I have to be meta. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize that. Also, I, I think it's a kind of like a, common challenge to step out of that and just say something and just be something about something instead of yeah. being like outside of it commenting on the thing yeah yeah I, I think i have that same challenge when it comes to making art and doing an art project because then i'm thinking like also kind of like the feedback loops, like how is this going to be perceived? I have to take that into in consideration. Blah, blah. It's kind of like online feedback loops, but yeah. in a different context, but still the same. And then it's just like, it's difficult to say anything or just do anything, create anything that is just there on its own. Yeah. So it's, yeah. How is that working out for you in your current work that you're doing? Uh, well, now I've been just, I started this job at the art exhibition before I graduated because I wanted to have something 
that I'm working on after my graduation. So I was yeah. finishing my studies and working at the same time. So at the beginning, I was just doing construction site working and painting so many walls and like helping out hanging the art pieces and that type of very manual labor, no thinking, just doing, which was good. And now I'm just working like ticket sales and that type of thing. So it's very like no thinking involved. And I thought it was good so that I don't end up just not knowing what to do with my life after graduating. And I'm trying to work on my art projects and thinking about grant applications and all of this at the same time. But I have that specific issue of like how to just do something that is about something and just yeah. forget about the the layers of thinking and commentary and the culture wars and all of that. But it's difficult with the grant applications and so on because you have to take into consideration the, the foundation that is giving out the grants and their values and rules and so on and so on because they state that anything you fund, any event, anything in, involving our foundation, you have to uh, obey the safer space rules and regulations. And it's, okay. So it's very ideological and they fund like innovative and like brave new things. So it's very focused on the woke activist stuff and identity things and so on. So it's kind of like this battle that do I just want to do what I want to do or do I want to play this game and get money? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If I want to work as a professional artist, like I should be applying for grants and exhibitions and so on and so on. But if the art world functions in this way, like how can I? mold my ideas and my projects to fit in that ideological framework so that I can function within it or yeah. do I just wage war against it or like what am I going to do so that's why it's difficult to just do what I want to do essentially yeah but, are there so, land acknowledgments in Finland how do you guys do that no uh no but we do have indigenous people in the northern part we have the sami people they are the indigenous people of the north and the nordic countries and they are spread across norway sweden finland a little bit russia also so okay. in the lapland and we have this like ongoing uh thing with them because they have like a nomadic lifestyle with reindeers and there's a lot of tourism and the Santa Claus lives in the north. And we have like uh, downhill skiing centers that bring a lot of money and tourism to Finland, but those are built on the lands of the indigenous people. Okay. So we have that, that dynamic, but on a smaller scale, and it's mainly in the northern part of Finland. So we don't have land acknowledgements like Australia has like, Every event, every building, everything is always like that. Yeah. Doing that but aren't thing. you aren't you indigenous? You're an indigenous Finn, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, my grandpa came from uh, Karelia, like the the part of Finland that is now part of Russia. So, oh, I'm also a little bit from there, kind of. So, uh, but yeah, I mean. I think that's the counter argument that Finnish people are also like indigenous 
people yeah. are feeling. Can you, can you I mean, lean on that identity or do you have to go into a gender identity? I mean, what, what are your vectors of, of identity matrix? Like you can't just be a fen because that would be the dominant class, right? So you have to be a woman or trans woman or a detransitioner, which is like, no, you get half points because you're half a woman, half a trans person, right? Which should be double points, but not yet. In the future, it'll be double points. Yes. I guess it depends which angle I play, because now the thing is that there is a lot of people who are claiming the Karelian identity. So even if one of their grandparents originated from Karelia when the border moved and Russia took the land, so then people moved with the border because they wanted to stay within Finland. So we yeah. had a lot of people moving from that region. So now people are identifying as Karelians instead of Finnish. So they claim this marginalized identity of being Karelians and they are trying to learn the Karelian language instead of Finnish and their traditions and history and so on. Yeah. So I could do that, but I think it's a bit ridiculous. Also, I know nothing about anything related to that, so I'm not going to do that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, <laughs> so and just also, for the for for my uh, American or Anglo uh, listeners, you're not saying Korean, you're saying Karelian. Karelian, yeah, K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-K-A-R-E-L-
people of color, they are brown people. And any minority is included in brown people. And there was a black woman in Finland who wrote a book about brown girls. And she had made a, some sort of theoretical a theoretical point that any minority group in Finland is included in brown people, even Swedish-speaking Finns who are white people because they are Swedish-speaking Finns. And it's ridiculous because they are now included in brown people, they are not brown, and in these like oppressed minority groups. But historically and in the present day Finland, the Swedish-speaking minority is wealthier, healthier, more educated, just overall doing better in any criteria in all areas of life. Yeah. But they are now also included in some sort of minority oppression category. And the, the translator's note in the book said that all the minority groups might not themselves identify as brown people, but they are still included in brown people. They are not brown even if they don't identify in that way. And I was like, how, how does that make any sense? Like, isn't it all about self-identification? Like, how is this one person deciding that everyone is brown now? And if anyone who had one grandparent coming from Karelia after the world wars is now considered Karelian and they can claim that minority identity, are they also brown? Am I brown? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make any sense, especially because I think like one fourth of the population has some sort of connection to Karelians. Yeah. So, like none of it makes any sense at all. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I could play the detransition card in that sense that I would say that I now better understand trans women and their struggles and so on because I'm a detransitioned woman, female, but people sometimes think I'm a trans woman because I have a deep voice, I don't have boobs and I have receding hairline or whatever. I still grow facial hair. So I guess I could like be woke friendly and play the identity game and be like, oh, now I relate to trans women and their struggles and yeah, we yeah. are now somehow related or something but i don't i don't i don't care so yeah. <laughs> i have given up on all of that and i try my best not to involve myself in any of that but it's difficult because if i want to have a career in arts and i see yeah. like who gets the grants who gets the prizes who gets the exhibitions like who gets to be successful within arts and it's always these self-identified minority oppressed groups. Yeah, yeah. And then... <laughs> okay, well, that aside, what is the content of your art, like your life as an artist? Like, how has that been developing? In the shadow of the woke mind virus, how are you developing as somebody in the pursuit of, I assume it's the beautiful, but maybe you're post-beauty, maybe you are post-modernist and beauty isn't what you're aiming at. Like, whatever it is you're aiming at, are you getting closer? Are you learning more about what is coming out of you, what is inside of you, the creative impulse, your skills? Mm, yes and no. <laughs> I got too stuck in the criticism cycle <laughs> and I was disappointed in myself that I wasn't able to do something about something and I was just 
stuck in deconstructing deconstruction but mainly okay. i've been interested in silence okay. running and the connection between running and thinking and silence in just general and i'm not post beauty i'm still very much involved in interested in beauty and kind of like the origin origins of art philosophy and aesthetics and the truth beauty what is the term the good yeah good truth beauty that stuff and yeah so speaking of that speaking of beauty truth and goodness where do you find that where have you found that in the last 12 months where have you found beauty truth goodness in nature and connecting with nature and being surrounded by nature in this very tiny small town where i live being more in connected with the seasons and snow and winter and everything that i was trying to get away from for a long time and running and in the silence of running and presence and being present, that's both when it comes to running and nature and also going to church, which is, I feel like that's also something that it, it's a weird thing in Finland because like th there's a high percentage of people who are members of the church in Finland, but nobody goes to church. So it's like, if you say you go to church, then it's like, oh, you are a crazy person. You are like fanatic, but like, and then I feel like I always have to explain myself and be like, I'm not fanatic, like some sort of like extreme Christian or whatever, but like, I just find beauty in that experience and that being there. And yeah, I think the silence and also kind of solitude like throughout last winter living in this small town and just trying to focus on my own shit for once <laughs> then i think that all helped me to be more present within myself and my life yeah. but i think the like running and nature and all of that it's still something that i'm trying to figure out what to do with it because I would like to do some sort of project about the connection with running and thinking. But I think there's a lot of writers who run and they also write about running and thinking and running and walking also. I read a couple of books of walking and running. So I think the connection with writing and thinking and running, it's more common and established so i don't know how to bring visual arts yeah. to that experience so that's kind of what i'm trying to figure out and yeah. like also it feels very paradoxical paradoxical to do something about silence <laughs> because it's like then it's not silent <laughs> like I, like that's what i'm working on like how to do anything about those experiences and how to like be present and so on. So would it be some sort of installation or like spatial arts in that way that I could somehow create yeah. a space where people could feel some sort of 
presence and connection or something. But then it's like, yeah. there's also like churches already exist. <laughs> so I don't know. So like my own art projects, it's very much up in the air. And I kind of want to do something. This is like, so that's one thing, like the thinking and running and presence and nature and church and all that and silence. It's, it's one big thing that I'm working on. And then another thing is this old money aesthetic, uh, quiet luxury and kind of like nobility and inheritance and Western history and culture and traditions and values and so on. And that's kind of also bringing the truth, good, beauty type of yeah. stuff. And that's also related to the culture wars because I think we need a positive view of the Western world. Like we can't just hate ourselves. So that's another thing. And also because I'm very interested in the aesthetics of old money, old money aesthetics and nobility and all of these things. Yeah. Because we have like noble family lineages in Finland and there are still people who are inheriting like the mansions and so on and so on. You know, uh, the transitioner and especially the detransitioner or the female, the female to male to female, uh, you can make it, it's an easy critique or it's probably pretty obvious that you can ascribe a lot of what they call internalized misogyny or the deconstruction of the female, right? Um, but it's in relationship to the cultural feminine, right? And it could be, you could probably make a case or there could be exploration and meditation done on the, how, how transition how the mastectomy, uh, the masculinization, the hormones is an attack, not just on the female, but on patriarch or on the Western ideal of the feminine. And so it is, uh, in a sense, a hating of one's lineage, a hating of one's or an abdication or, uh, a rebellion against the destiny of the, let's just say, and this can get a little, we can get on thin ice here, the white woman. Like if you see what's happening with white girls denying their white girlness, trying to become a white man, um, there's something about, and then there is a prevalence of transition in the Caucasian, at least in America and the West, uh, among females. And, uh, you know, there's, there's all these different layers of it, but it could be, there could be something about a denial or a, a just rejection of culture, Western culture, or, or, or this is as this is an expression of trying to, you know, do some sort of iconoclasm against one's heritage in the broad sense. Yeah. Well, it's all the, like I have a tattoo that says, uh, self-made man. <laughs> but that was also a joke. Uh, when did you get because, that? At what point in your journey? Your gender yeah, journey? Yeah, I got that after I had mastectomy done. But I think I was about to start 
hormones or something like that. I wasn't on the male hormones yet, but I got the self-made man tattoo done because I think that's somewhat common with trans men to get that tattooed or to get the date when you start HRT on like Roman numerals somewhere like here. I don't know. So I thought that like, oh, it's these like cliche things that everyone has to get a trans tattoo. So I was like, yeah, I'll get the self-made man, but I got it as an ironic joke because <laughs> this is gonna sound so wrong, but it was also because uh, it was like this trans thing, like self-made man, even though no one is self-made, but it was also this uh, joke, like how no one is self-made and Donald Trump made these statements that he's a self-made millionaire or whatever, and he, got just a small loan of $1 million or something. I don't know. It was some ridiculous yeah. claim that he is self-made. And I was like, yeah, I'm as self-made as he is. And it, it was my like stupid mm. sense of uh, just Critique. humor. Yeah. And it's like all of these things with me, it's always these like layers of stupidity. And well, now I'm wearing like full uh, length clothing at all times to cover up all my stupid tattoos but really? I got that oh, yeah I tried my best to do that really because in our first conversation people uh, comment on your tattoos halfway through this two hour beautiful conversation one of my favorites um, that I've produced people realize like oh those are her tattoos because they, they look so ornamental they look like a sweater they... yeah, so yeah even, I... even even if you don't like that they are tattooed on you, that you still had, your taste still shines through your... Yeah, I think, like, I don't regret getting the tattoos, but now I prefer to cover them because it is this social thing. And yeah. also because my tattoos are so stupid, but they are stupid on purpose, but they are done in a nice way, yeah. visually, and by good yeah. tattoo artists. So they are not bad tattoos. But they're just like my inside jokes with myself, and they're just very stupid. Yeah. Well, but, and then they pin you, and they always remind you of that time when you did that too. So you're kind of yeah. your body is stuck in a certain time, in a way. Yeah, it is this kind of like diary of all of my experiences, but it's just yeah. very visible. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, in Finland, the tattoos are not a problem because a lot of people have a lot of tattoos in Finland, but. Now I was just in Austria in Vienna and I was wearing a full sleeve uh, shirt and pants that showed like a little bit of my ankles between my socks and pants. And I noticed people staring at my ankles and I was like, oh, it's just a little bit of my ankles and some of my tattoos, but they catch it and they stare at it. and. Yeah, and it, and with my partner, we paid attention to that because my partner is also kind of heavily tattooed and she wasn't hiding her tattoos. And she was like, people are staring at me. And I was like, yeah, what did you expect? to you have your tattoos out? So, <laughs> and then we talked about kind of like the uh, like socioeconomic perceptions of being heavily tattooed and how people perceive you and so on. So there's a lot of reasons why I prefer to cover up my tattoos, but I uh, I was mentioning the self-made man yes. tattoo because I think within transitioning and within the gender identity ideology, 
there is a huge ideological component of being self-made and self-identified and self-defined and it's almost like they believe that they gave birth to themselves and they came out of nowhere and they are only people and that's like the all, all of the language is like about that like dead naming like you are dead naming me and like i i was never that person like i've always been my current identity and my biological sex has always been what i identify as now so it is this complete rejection of history lineage family like anything traditions anything and i think that's something that i was doing kind of on purpose when i transitioned because i needed to have that break like from my past and all of the stuff that happened and my parents and the foster care systems and like everything i didn't want to be me i wanted to be someone else and like that's the like self-made thing but like even when i got the tattoo it was an ironic thing and i knew like intellectually that no one is self-made and you can never become someone else but i was still so hopeful and delusional that i could do that and i think like being involved in the trans activism and folk activism and veganism and anarchism and all of this stuff i think it is rooted in a hatred against the western world like there is so much of that especially with anarchism and so on so as i detransitioned and i started to connect with myself and my family and Finland and being more present and being less chronically online and tapped into this like like general western world culture wars ideological nonsense online and just yeah. trying to be more present and trying to be where i am and who i am and trying to make peace with my past and so on and then i kind of also started to realize that I have no reason to hate the Western world and Finland and so on and all of the like woke activism and so on, especially in Finland because there is the job refusing union and so on. Yeah. Like the it goes so far that people are so entitled and they are so used to the strong welfare state and the benefits that now they don't even think that they should work and they just demand more and more and more and they do these things that they are refusing to work and so on and so on <laughs> and they are ideologically unemployed or something because like everything should be handed to them and so on yeah. and i was so deep into that and then i started to <laughs> somehow crawl out of that and to realize that like even thinking about those things and like the activism that goes on in Finland it's so removed from reality for almost everyone else on the planet like it just I mean it, yeah I mean it's not even just removed from reality it, it's the loathing of reality I just I found somebody and it could have been a troll or whatever but they were saying that in in my comments, somebody somebody came and was arguing with somebody else, and they're saying that the LGBTQ plus is is 
is it's a ideology beyond ideologies. It's for the people who can create themselves and set aside biological reality, set aside all this religious thinking and finally achieve true selfhood, right? Like true, it's very Gnostic. It's like we can create ourselves and, and, and the world owes us the ability to, that's, that's the ultimate emancipation is not from oppression. It's from reality itself because reality itself is oppressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what the Klitsch Feminism Manifesto book is about. Yeah. It's the complete separation from reality and creating yourself online and being a glitch and whatever. And yeah. it's, it has nothing to do with reality. Yeah. You're literally and, a bug that needs to be squashed because you're just yeah. you're making the system, you're upsetting the system that you thrive on. Yeah. I, it's like I understand how I got involved in a all of that because I was so hurt Yes, just in general by life. But like realizing that it was taking me nowhere and then realizing that, oh, I don't have the luxury of playing this game of these ideologies. Like I'm fighting for my survival and I don't come from the same background than a lot of these woke activists and anarchists and so on. Like, as I got to know them on a personal level and I met more people and I kind of get to see behind the scenes and where they come from and who they are, and I realized like, oh, a lot of these people, they have strong middle-class families and they are rebelling against their boring suburban parents or whatever. And like whatever happens, they always have someone to support them and to pick them up from jail when they do the Extinction Rebellion uh, protests and they are on the newspapers getting carried by police to the police van and they're like, oh, wow, like I can add this to my <laughs> accomplishments or whatever. And I'm like, the deeper I dove into that world, the more clear it became to me that I have nothing in common with these people. Like, I don't have what they have. I'm not rebelling against what they are rebelling against. Like, I have no part in this game. Hmm. And there was American uh, rock something he coined the term luxury beliefs. Yeah. And he talks about this in an elite universities in the US. And I was listening to one of his interviews and I was like, exactly, exactly, exactly. This is what I mean. And it's crazy to be in situations where people claim to be oppressed and marginalized. And you know that they come from like upper middle class families. And or, they or they're saying, look at me, I'm brown, I'm brown, I'm brown. And they're as white as the driven snow. <laughs> yes. And it's like, I know your parents bought you a MacBook, iPhone, skiing holiday. And like, it's, and the craziest thing that I even know an anarchist who is literally of no, noble lineage. And I'm like, 
we have nothing in common. So it, it's like I realized that like what I got myself into, like it wasn't my place. Like we weren't fighting for the same things. Like we didn't even share a reality, like where we come from and what are we fighting for and so on. And then I started to kind of uh, accept into my worldview, like more conservative viewpoints and more centrist or right-wing uh, viewpoints because, you know, I was an anarchist, so I was far left. <laughs> well, when, but when you say conservative or right-wing, do you mean reality-based? What do you mean yeah. by that? Yeah, like with the, uh, I mean, I guess the NATO and the global politics is one good example because I used to be very anti-US and then I kind of realized that, like, yeah, it's a choice between the U.S. and NATO and the Western world or China and Russia. So yeah. I'm going to pick U.S. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and just, I think with all of my activism, all of my ideologies, I just hit a wall eventually. And I started to see how anti-life and how, like, anti-history all of these ideologies are and like veganism they essentially hate humanity and they view humanity as the cancer of the earth and it's better if, you know the more deep you dive into these things you find deep ecology and like just pure hatred for humanity and yeah. Yeah. It's like they, they want people to die out basically so <laughs> it's yeah, and I think, like, because I saw what was at the bottom of the ideology as I dove deeper into it, I started to realize that it's destructive. Like, it's destructive on an individual life level to my life and me, but also on a larger societal scale. And when it comes to the trans stuff and, like, rebelling against the lineage and so on and so on like i also had that idea because i wanted to sterilize myself and i wanted to be the end the end of and i think yeah it's the kind of a meme online that this bloodline ends with me hmm. and that's what i also thought and that's what i did but then like I started to uh, look into different perspectives and I had the fascination with the nobility and their values and so on. So I read studies about the nobility and their lineages and so on and their values and this like multi-generational thinking and also the old money things and uh, quiet luxury and all of these things. Those are mainly just aesthetic things, but there is also values behind those things that you inherit something you take care of it you pass it down yes. and you are a link in the chain of generations and, and you come from somewhere and you are like passing it on yeah so wealth and property are well they they do have a material manifestation but they are linked to or they are an expression of one's performance of their duty, one's ownership to uh, 
to time, like to past and to future, and then to place. And so it's an extension of yourself. It's an extension of who you are as a steward of something. You're serving the, uh, the, this, this lineage. And so you are not, the, the whole world isn't just about you and your own experiences. Yeah, exactly. You and your own experiences are a part of it. Grander yeah, that's what I discovered as I read more about the different worldviews and the values of the nobility and so on. And then I started to understand that that is grounding and healing instead of this narcissistic, self-centered ideology that I'm self-made and I created myself and blah, 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 blah. But instead having connection to your past and the generations before you and having connection to where you are and being present and so on. So I actually did an art project for my school about this uh, like whole idea like before. And I started to connect more with my grandparents instead of my parents and the foster parents. And that like helped me to connect like with my past in a healthier way and to find something inspirational and aspirational rather than the painful part. Yeah. Because I feel like now I no longer identify and connect with the, like what was lost, but more like with my grandparents. So, yeah. kind of like reaching in the chain. So, that helped me to have a better relationship to my past and family and so on and so on. And also understanding that I have no reason to hate Finland as a whole because Finland has grounded me <laughs> so much like opportunity in life and huh. orphan benefits and a bunch of things. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think this like more conservative right-wing traditionalist ideas helped me to let go of the victim narrative and the self-centered narcissistic view. And I also read a book about uh, like historical Finnish women and their life stories and like the the fight for equality and how Finland became one of the most equal countries in the world and so on and so on. And that was very inspiring and also grounding in that sense that I realized like, yeah, okay, I have this life story, whatever. But throughout history, people have always had crazy life stories. Like crazy life stories are the norm, <laughs> like on a historical scale and a global scale. Like more people have crazy life stories than people who don't. So if I stop comparing myself to privileged people who come 
from like middle class, upper middle class families and they are these like rebel activists. Like if I stop comparing myself to them and their privileged ideas of the world and I just recognize that, yeah, like most people have hardships in their lives and they don't have to invent oppression or whatever. Yeah. So like it all helped to let go of all of that resentment and all of that, that drove me into these ideologies in the first place. Yeah. And I think it's funny because the, uh, Sir Roger Scruton is someone who I always come back to and listen to his lectures and interviews and the YPT Matters documentary and so on. And he says in a lot of context that he witnessed the student riots in Paris in 1968, 1969. And he saw all of that happening and he decided that I want whatever is the opposite of that. Like, yeah. And then he spent his life discovering what else is out there. And I relate to that because I feel like I've been through this like woke activist, victimhood, nonsense. And now I'm discovering like, what else is there? Like, where else can I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to do a little bit of an intro for this so people can understand your story, but we've covered your personal life story and we've spoken, I guess this is our third time in as many years. I think we've spoken like about once a year now. And so we've covered a lot of your life, but we're also watching you. You're, you're giving, you're gracing us with like, like a kind of a time capsule and an unfolding of you as a human being going through time. Um, yeah, I think it's been yeah. interesting in that sense, because it's been like one talk within like, it, like almost one year between the talks. Yeah. And I've detransitioned and I finally completed my detransition. Yeah. And I'm finally like within the normal range of like female hormones and my detransitioning took three years and I've also been studying arts and yeah. <laughs> fighting against the woke nonsense and all of these things and trying to find some sort of peace. But I think it's been like crucial three years in my life. Yeah. I was speaking with uh, Marcus Evans yesterday. He's a British psychologist, and he he works at the Tavisok Clinic, and he sees a lot of uh, trans-identified males. And I was trying to get him to specify his view of manhood, what boys need right now. And, and it was hard because he really wants to keep nuance. He wants to keep nuance in the conversation. So if he ever talks about men or talks about boys, he's always got to, we always have to like make room for any women that are listening in that we're not saying women can't do this. We have to do all these caveats. So it was really hard to get to the essence of what he could do. But what he did land on was that the body is inherently our connection to the world. Our, our, we are connected to the world through our bodies and sex is a part of our bodies. And so we went to, I won't go too deep into this, but you know, a boy's body is outside of himself. A girl's body is inside of herself. And then she develops later with the uh, breasts, right? And her body like kind of becomes an outside object around puberty with the hips and the breasts and the shape comes to life. But like before that, like her, her body, her genitalia, what makes her different from boys is just this inner self and then the boys are 
plug into the world and they, they have to deal with penetrating the world and, and, you know, like having this thing that grows outside of them that has this uh, mood of its own, you know, and then so on and so forth. And you can think about, um, you can think about it just in terms of sex, but, um, but you're making me think about in our conversation taken as a whole is, you know, you're, you're meditating on silence, you're meditating on running and thinking. And you've said several times, like unplugging from this hyper online world, unplugging from the ideology, going to church, that's all mitigated through your body. It's all you're, you're talking about your body or you're trying to represent your body. And so when you, when you think about it visually, you know, trying to square the circle in that way. It's like, well, it's gotta be an installation. How do I, how do I give presence to silence? How do I, how do I take thinking and running and, and make that imagistic or make that experiential? So, and so much of your story, especially with the transition and the detransition and your, your origin as an orphan and, and your relationship to your, your parents and then your relationship to, you know, reaching beyond your parents and the pain that that, they've given you or that you share with them, um, to your grandparents, to something before them, that that's all, it's all been through your body. It's through your, I guess, to use a bad term, your lived embodied experience. Um, I don't have a question yet. I'm just trying to think in terms like in, in the artist way of like, how do you, how do all these ideas and all this experience, how do they, how do they come about into something that you're communicating or giving to other people? Like how, how do you yeah. take that next step? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to figure out. Like there is the artistic research like within contemporary art. And I guess I could lean into that, but I kind of hate it. What do you mean research? Because, Just like, do you know, like artistic research. What does that mean? Uh, well, it's a, uh, the opposite of scientific research, but they call it research, and they want that they want it to be acknowledged as research, but it's about a research through making art and creating and through the body of an artist and so on and so on. So it's not about uh, some sort of like scientific objective discoveries of the world, but it's subjective and what the artist feels within themselves. And it's like completely subjective and impossible to uh, even communicate or something. And they, it's impossible to create any sort of criteria for it because it's nonsense. But I mean, I guess because I'm going towards this more like embodied experience of the world and living and I'm interested in these topics, then I could lean into that like artistic research type of thing. But I just think it's absolute nonsense. But it's also something that is kind of trending. But it's like there was this uh, one thing in Finland, it was artists and researchers working in groups together about the future of aging in Finland. And they were supposed to somehow think about what aging will mean. And then there was an artist who created some sort of uh, pipes out of plastic. And then he was just like <clears throat> making sounds. 
and that was it. And then another thing he did, he had latex gloves and some sort of substance, and then he was shoving his fingers to his mouth. And like members of parliament, they were watching this presentation of uh, the future committee and these research findings about aging in Finland. And then the news article said that the researchers said that nothing made sense and the collaboration didn't work. And then the person who was representing the artist said that we have to recognize the expertise of artists and we have to give them more of these opportunities. And then members of parliament, they were like, what did I just see? So <laughs> it, it is like, a, I guess, like a growing field, but it, it doesn't make any sense at all but it's something that is happening within arts. It's kind of like part of this like deconstructing scientific research and it's alternative ways of knowing. Yeah. So it's part of this like deconstructing academia, but it's just nonsense. And then I'm kind of like, oh no, like if I would do something about that, like bodily embodied presence in world and that type of thing like yeah. would i fall into that category but how could i make it in a way that it makes sense and it's not yeah. about that nonsense well i mean what they end up doing is uh i mean just from the example that you've given and i can think of tons you know banana on the wall and then somebody eats it and then everybody's offended because somebody ate the banana on the wall you know because it was a banana freaking duct tape to the wall that was worth five million dollars whatever you know yeah. Uh, or, the, or the shoving the gloves down one's throat. It's usually, it's a form of disgust or it's usually a form of sacrilege in some way or some, it's some form of always tearing down. It goes back to that freaking toilet that Ducamp put in the middle. It's, it's always about uh, this, this uh, the, the effete beyond and above it all, like, like showing how disgusting they are. Just do, it's like an expression of disgust, but... That doesn't mean that like an honest, humble approach to the same sorts of expression that call on nobility, call on the sacred, uh, call on silence, and then not denigrating that, not making something gross, not like shocking, but actually uplifting. It doesn't mean that there can't be, and especially when... Last time we spoke, you, you sent me a picture of the church that's in your town that you've felt a deep connection to. Like, that is an installation in and of itself. You've already hinted that there is something there. Maybe bringing that out, um, maybe maybe giving people access to that, you know, when they say, like, oh, you go to church, you crazy fanatic, but, like, bringing the church to them or, or like, giving them access to what's there that once grounded, once you undergo the process of worship or silence in a sacred space, and then you go out of that sacred space, maybe the world's a little bit more full, maybe colors are a little bit sharper, maybe you have just a slight better ability to be kinder to somebody, right? Maybe maybe the world just kind of shifts towards heaven a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that all can be done through the same tool, well, the same modality, basic modality of, of performance art. Yeah. And um, yeah, there is this one author in Finland who uh, wrote the book 
uh, about my year as a gentleman. And he dove into like European traditions and the knights and the nobility and the gentlemen and the concepts and the education. And he was also learning how to horse ride and play rugby and do like a bunch of things, etiquette classes and how to dress himself. And he also had a history of being a punk and a rebel. And then he like did this one year experiment and documented it in, in a book and that got published. And I read that and that was very inspiring. And that also, it was so much about the lineages and the history and traditions and also the embodied presence in the world and how to be there for others and how to be uh, like serving others and being pleasant person to be around and not to be hmm. like always problematizing and causing trouble for everyone and, yeah. and so on and so on. So I think there is ways to approach the topics. I just, yeah, I feel like I still need more unplugging from yeah. like all of the things and criticizing the art world and the woke activism and all of these things. Because one angle of doing all of these things and getting grants and finance to do things, like it would be to make it about the culture wars and so on and so on. But then it would be about this battle between something and something. And I guess then I could, like, I feel like I would kind of have to write a grant application from the perspective, like how to win the culture war and make it seem like I'm on the side of the woke so that I can get the grant and then I can work on my project and then reveal, like I'm actually on like no one's side, but I'm on the side of life and the continuation of life. and. Yeah. Yeah. So seems like moneyed interests are not uh, not not for that now. Every major foundation is all about population control, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like if you want to do something that is like pro West, then and and it's like kind of like I could also do it in a way that I just make it like about the value of traditions or something or the beauty or whatever I want to do. And then I would do it in a way that I don't intentionally provoke the left or whatever, but then I could do this experiment. Like, are they going to be provoked anyway? Are they going to blame me for being a white supremacist, whatever? I don't know. Like if you say like, oh, actually I don't hate the West or something. So then it's, it, it's like, I don't know. It's just, in the climate of the art world, it feels very difficult to do anything that doesn't take into consideration like what is going on. Even and, in your small town? Oh, in my small town, I can live more freely, but this is branded the art town. So there is uh, art institutions and old money in this town, <laughs> which is kind of weird because there's less than 10,000 people here. But even that is saturated with this uh, climate that you're describing, this woke climate, so prevalent in yeah, more or less events. More or less, 
it varies a bit, but I do feel more free here because I can also focus on other things in life in general. And now that I work in ticket sales, someone came in and asked like, is this a safer space? And then I was like, the fuck out of here. I didn't say anything, but my face, I'm, I'm sure my face was like, and then the man was like, I'm joking, I'm joking. And I was like, thank God, thank God, okay. Okay, <laughs> good, good. So I think like there is also within the art world, there is a huge part of people who are sick of the woke nonsense. Yeah. And I see more people speaking against it, but it's still very much the consensus and the politically correct things to say and so on and so on. So I feel like there is change coming, but it's still yeah. just like bubbling under the surface and mainly people are still just uh, saying whatever is the appropriate thing to say. So it is a bit, I don't know. But moving into this small town, it has helped me a lot because I don't have to be surrounded by nonsense just all the time. So, well, and I also, if... I have a job assisting a disabled person and that is very uh, grounding and very back to basics in life and just yeah. doing normal life things together. So that is also very good to like, do something completely different that is not related to yeah. anything. Well, I guess that was kind of what I was going to ask because part of your story is going through a profound sense of alienation, just your, your past, and then plugging into woke stuff and probably finding some sort of camaraderie with people and then discovering that they aren't they aren't your people um, and then getting alienating from your body, getting alienated from your society, getting alienated from the ideology and then going away from all that, going online, making YouTube videos, trying to find the question is like, how have you over the last few years, how have you come back to yourself and then rediscovered how to connect to other people? Well, I, well, coming back to myself, I think the first step was to get out of my head and back to my body. Because I think it's the issue with chronically blind people and traumatized people and dissociative people that we just live in our heads and get lost in this like theoretical nonsense. But I started to dance and to do like improvisation dancing, just moving in random ways and being more outdoorsy, running. And I did a kickboxing uh, beginner's course. Oh, yeah. And that taught me to be present because I got punched in the face if I got lost in my head <laughs> and I wasn't focused. So that was good. And then I experienced the winter in this small town without public transportation, just walking through the snow. I got my driving license and that forced me to be present in my body and my surroundings and to obey rules and to, <laughs> like it, it was an experience <laughs> so like I think in my life overall I've made a lot of progress on just getting back down to earth <laughs> from all of the like nonsense and also like actually confronting and processing my trauma and what I was trying to get away from and like understanding that the only way out is through, and I, I can't become a new person. I can't get away from who I am and so on. So I, I think I found a lot of ways to get 
back to reality and myself and learning personal finance and budgeting and doing like normal life things and cooking and so on. But now uh, the issue is mainly like, what am I going to do professionally? Because I do think that arts are valuable and like worth fighting for. And I still want to have some sort of future within arts, but it, it's just the like how to do that. That's the the thing. Yeah. But I don't know. I I might work whatever job and get more distance to all of that, so that I can be more focused on what I want to do instead of what I want to avoid or what I want to criticize or to get away from. Yeah. So, or I just become a hairdresser. That's also my plan B. <laughs> Is that seriously? Yeah, it, it has always been my plan B. Okay. I, yeah, because like I used to study to become a seamstress for a little bit. So I know uh, from that school, I know fashion designers. So with my photography studies, I've done fashion photography. So I have uh, some sort of portfolio of fashion photography so I could go into that, like study hairdressing and do more beauty, fashion, hairdressing, photography, more commercial stuff. Yeah. So that has always been my plan B kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think hairdressing is nice profession because you get to interact with people and serve people and like somehow be of service which I now find valuable now that I'm no longer just focused on me, me, me. But let's see. Yeah. I don't know if you dodged the question, but I guess you kind of answered it. But like, how is your, like, after going through, like, the amount of healing that you've gone through, like, how have you, your connection to other people changed? Has uh, the... Yes, it did. Uh I forgot, I remembered that you had another question, but I forgot what it was. But yes, it was this. I think the biggest change is that I'm no longer oversharing wherever I go, whatever I do. I no longer hmm. walk into spaces and social situations as this open wound and feeling like I'm inferior or... I have to explain myself or I have to beg forgiveness or people to like me or something. I used to have this like such weird like complexes about social situation. I used to have a lot of social anxiety and I also used to have a lot of panic attacks when I was younger. And then I kind of got, maybe I got all of my oversharing out of my system through my YouTube channels. <laughs> but I no longer like do that kind of, what did you say? It, your channel and mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's good that I refused all other like interview requests or whatever. So I didn't like accept everything, go everywhere, talk yeah. to anyone, get involved in anyone's agenda agenda to push their narrative through me and so on and so on yeah. so and because i stopped 
the activism stuff. And within my arts, I stopped creating art of my personal life and my experiences and making it like super personal in that like open wound type of way. Like I stopped doing all of that. And now I am more able to be with people and I don't have to tell everyone everything about myself. And that's a huge change in my life because throughout my entire life, I've always had the sense that I need to explain myself and I need to like somehow like earn understanding from other people. But now I can just be in situations and be like, okay, I'm just a person. I'm just some person. Like, I don't care who I am. I'm just like someone here. And everyone else is also someone here. And then I'm able to listen to other people. That probably doesn't seem like that in this context, but, <laughs> and to be there for other people. Yeah. And I think my like assisting job also helps me with that because it's not about me like zero percent like i can be anyone and i'm just there to assist a person so it's about that person not me so i think that's the biggest change when it comes to like connecting with people and i don't need to be liked by everyone i don't need to be cool I don't need to impress people because I used to have this thing that I need to overcompensate for my background and where I come from. And I need to impress people. I need to I need to somehow win them over. Yeah. But now I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> and I think my kind of like year of solitude, uh, not a full year, maybe like half a year, living in this small town where I don't know that many people. Like I realized that I'm fine by myself, but I do like people. And I think that has also been huge because kind of like with my activist past and the victimhood and the woke stuff, there is this hatred for humanity. But now I'm like, I don't hate people. I like people. I get along with anyone. And I can be with people (laughs) and I can also be alone. So I'm not in a desperate need of like finding a community, a chosen family and all of these, like what is also a part of the woke worldview that you have to find a chosen family and community and all of these things. So I'm no longer in a desperate need of that. So I can, be alone or with people or they can just exist in the world. (laughs) So it has made things easier. Do you have any pets? No, I'm allergic to a lot of things. Oh. Like animals and plants and nature and dust. Oh, wait, you're allergic to plants? Like the pollen. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, hay fever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I've been hospitalized because of my cat allergy. But I love cats. But, yeah. So, I also live in a small apartment. And uh, my partner is moving here. So, 
Oh, I yeah. don't think there's room for any pets. Well, there you go. But uh, she can be your pet, or you can be hers. Yeah, but I mean, I have um, a love for fasans. Are they called fasans in English? Oh my god, what is the word? But is oh. these birds? I think they're probably fasan in any other language than in English. A bird. A bird, but they are these. Uh, like chunky birds with a big tail. Okay. Oh, they peacocks? Be, um, yeah. Not peacock, smaller and less fancy, but still funny. Uh, they used to be hunted. And the, like the small town where I live, this town used to be around a factory. And the person who started the factory... Pheasants. Small town. Pheasants. Pheasants. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Yeah, almost pheasant, but uh, pheasant. Yeah, yeah. So the factory owner, because they had all these like uh, fancy rich factory owner historical hobbies, so they brought the pheasants to this small town so that they can hunt them, because it was a fancy hobby for the fancy people. So then the pheasants got wild and they are everywhere. But I love them. They are so ridiculous and cute and just stupid. They are just all over the roads and just everywhere. But I guess they are kind of like my pets because I just... Do you feed them? Go there with some bread and... No, I just uh, spot them and they make my day every time I see them. Huh. Especially when, like, only time I didn't like them was when I was doing my driving lessons and they were on the roads. And then my driving instructor just kept telling me, just drive, they will move, just drive. I was like, I don't want to hit them. So, yeah. But I guess that's the closest thing to a pet that I can get because of my allergies and small yeah, apartment and yeah. all of these things. Speaking of art, have you been, like, do you have a journal or like a little sculpture area or a little painting area in your house? Have you just, do you give yourself time to just do that stuff? Or have you been not doing that? No. I I don't do a lot of like physical objects within arts. I don't paint or draw or something. The only thing I did at some point I was crocheting, but then I kind of uh, got sick of that. So yeah. so yeah, I kind of don't do anything like that. I also don't have a mind's eye. I don't have. Uh, imagination. So my thinking is only words. So that's why I also I, I can't paint or draw or something because it gives me a lot of anxiety because I, I can't imagine things. So then what would I do? Yeah. I can't understand that. I, I spoke with somebody earlier this summer who has that, who doesn't visual can't visualize things and we were trying to figure out like if you're going to install a shelf on your wall could you see the shelf can you see the shelf where it would be like if you wanted to like or if you want to move your couch across the room can you see where it would be in your head or do you have to move it before you can see it and then once you turn around or like when you're going to go get your kettle do you see your kettle on the stove like if it's in the other room no but you don't get lost in your house. You know where everything is, but you just don't see it in your head. 
I, I live in a very small studio apartment, so okay. I don't get lost. Do you get lost but, in cities because you can't, like, don't you, doesn't your body have, like, some sort of map of the world? It's just, I can't, it's really hard for me to understand this condition. Yeah, the funny thing is that I always think I know the way when going somewhere in the city. I'm always like, it's this direction, and then I'm always wrong. And I was like, I was so sure. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm always, I'm. I'm so sure that I know where to go and I always get in fights with people. And then, like, sometimes I'm right. A lot of times I'm wrong. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I can't visualize things. Hmm. Like, my thinking is like a radio in a dark, empty room. Yeah, It's just voice. And I think that also kind of maybe contributed to me getting lost in the theoretical and like abstractions, like theoretical understanding of gender, for example, because I wasn't, yeah. because of trauma and PTSD and dissociation, I wasn't present in my body and I wasn't like picturing yeah. anything. And it was like, oh, there's this theory about gender. Like, oh, okay, this makes sense to me because I have no way, I, I don't have alternative ways to being in relation to the world it's yeah. just words and thinking and the theories but if you okay so if you're reading a story about a woman with have... black hair and a red dress and she meets a man with blonde hair in a blue suit and they dance no, it gives me anxiety to try to imagine things because i feel like i'm going crazy if i try to like okay. because i'm like I can't imagine things. Like, I don't want I to torture you, so I'll back off. Yeah, I read this article about the the mind blindness, and the article said something like, "Try to imagine a cat that has leaves instead of hair." And I was like, "But that doesn't exist. That it's not real. I, like, how is that possible? It gives me so much anxiety." Like, and then I realized, like, yeah, probably that's why I don't read a lot of fiction. I read mainly autofiction or nonfiction or something. And I read one book that uh, it was located, uh, the scenery in the book, it was empty theater stage in darkness. And it was only the main character and the main character's thoughts. And I was like, I love this book. This is amazing. There's no pages wasted on picturing things. I'm always like, get on with the plot. Like what, what the, what is this? And I used to study creative writing at a weekend school. And they've said these things like every three pages, you have to describe the environment or something. And I was like, what environment? Like if I write here, then I'm only able to describe what is right here. Or I need to have like, like, photos of something like i can't just come up with the scenery or a mm. character or something okay. so and i'm also face blind like i can't uh because i can't picture people's faces in my head so i can't recognize people and i think that's also it's something that has contributed to my like social anxiety and all of these things because i don't recognize people and a lot of times People come up to me and they're like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, I have no idea who you are. I've never met you in my life. I'm sorry. And then it's like, it takes me about 10 times meeting a person that I can make a checklist 
of their appearance and clothing choices and hairstyles and makeup things and uh, I can recognize them based on something because I, I can't picture people's faces. I can't re- recognize. Everyone looks the same. Everyone is, is a person. So. And so with regard to me, I'm just a two-dimensional uh, being to you, but like we've interacted a lot through voice. Like you've listened to my show and we've spoken. So there's a little bit, is that easier for you to ground yourself in familiarity with a person when it's based on speaking and listening and hearing their voice? Yeah. And when it's, in a specific context. So because I only know you in this context, then you only exist in this context, kind of. And then I recognize you in this context. So then, like, I can recognize someone in a certain setting, but then if I meet them in a different setting, I'm like, who are you? (laughs) So it's it's a bit complex. I kind of want to, like, go and, like pick up your trash and, and say hi to you and see see your reaction. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I would recognize you by something, but I think your hair is a little bit different or maybe glasses are different. I think you look different than before. Okay. So I probably wouldn't. I'm wearing like, a t-shirt, but... Like when we started this video then i was like you look different but i don't know why or how but then i was like but it must be you because who else would it be no it's not a simulation i haven't got the ai benjamin up and running yet yeah can happen i can just sit back it's my background too my background used to be black with stars and now it's got like an actual bookshelf so that's yeah that's that's true i paid attention to that and i was like yeah this is different now so yeah But yeah, I think all of that also contributed to my difficulty with arts and in social relations. Because for the longest time, I didn't know that face blindness is a thing. Like even in high school, I had a friend who had perfect memory of everyone she has ever met in her life. And we had this like unspoken agreement that whenever we are in a social situation, she will explain to me who everyone is. Okay. And she always did. Like we like I I don't think we ever like even had a discussion about that, but we just ended up in this agreement and arrangement that when we are in social situations she will explain to me everyone and how and why we know them. And I was like, oh okay. But I think also the face blindness, I think that contributed in my thinking that I could become a new person like by changing hairstyles or gender or whatever, or appearances. Because to me, if someone cuts their hair, like I don't know who they are because I memorized in my checklist that, okay, this person has this and this and this type of hairstyles and this type of jackets or outerwear or whatever. So in my head, they are like different people. So I guess I believed that I could also become a new person in that sense. And I was always shocked when people still recognized me. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, I have green hair. Yesterday I had blue. How can you know who I am? So. Weird. Wow. Do you have taste blindness too? Do you you remember the taste of coffee or smell blindness? Uh, 
because of my allergies, I don't smell almost anything. Oh no! So I think all of this like contributes to the dissociation and being out of touch with body. Oh yeah. Because okay. I, I I don't have imagination. I'm face blind. I have a lot of allergies, so I'm a lot of times my nose is completely blocked. So, and when I was younger, I smoked cigarettes, so I didn't smell or taste anything. Now I taste something at least, and I have this like bodily memory which is weird because it's not connected to images and that connected to ptsd is also very complex and weird you have bodily memory can you describe that uh, well like for example i got beaten up in my early 20s and when that happened uh the person who beat me up like grabbed my hair and then like banged my hair against the floor like I was on my back and then that and then I like I had these like bloody spots on my hair so then from that on I started to shave my head because the feeling of having hair was associated with the pain like and also because that happened uh, when I was a kid, like I was disciplined by my foster mom, like taking my hair like from here and like pulling it and like lifting us by our hair. So then uh, for about, I think, seven years, I was trying to grow my hair out. But because of the bodily memory of violence, I, I couldn't let my hair grow because the shaved head became the safe option that no one can grab my hair anymore. So it's it's that type of things that are like difficult to understand sometimes. Like when I can't make the connection, like why is it so scary and painful that I'm trying to let my hair grow, that I wanted to have long hair, but I couldn't. And then I was in this like annual cycle of trying to let my hair grow and then shaving it off again. And then I started to understand that. And as I started to feel more safe in general in life and existing in the world, I was able to let my hair grow. So it's this type of things that like, like I haven't read the book, uh, Body Keeps the Score, but for me, because the connection to the world and existing has been so painful because when I was younger, I was self-harming and I was abused and I was victim of violence and so on and so on. And I was dissociated. And because I didn't have alternative ways of connecting with the world, then it, it was very tricky to get back to my body and to be present and to be okay with my body existing in the world and understanding all of these different things about my body. How does, how does nature, how does running, how does even sitting in a church affect you, change you, heal you? Mm -hmm. Good question. <laughs> I think uh, nature is calming and in nature, I calm down and my head finally calms down. Also, yeah, I think the uh, lack of imagination and only having words in my head, 
and having like overactive mind, it contributed to my alcoholism because I needed to shut the fuck up in my head sometimes. So I, I needed to black out because I didn't have alternative ways of shutting my head down. But then I think nature calms me physically, like being present and observing things and like being there and listening to things like the trees and the birds and observing things and looking things and experiencing the weather and seasons and so on. So it's more like getting out of my head and more in tune with my body and being part of something instead of being self-centered. Yeah, or observing or yeah, or the center of the universe become a peripheral. Yeah, uh, and I think in, in church it's the same that it's not about me, but it's about everyone together. And it's about the human condition and to exist as a human in a loving, accepting context. And there's like grace and mercy and forgiveness and that type of environment where there is acknowledgement that we are all like fallible and just like uh unperfect imperfect imperfect yeah. yeah so it's like the recognition of like the imperfect human being but still being accepted and and graceful and so on and i think the concept of gracefulness like you were talking about the denigration and the the disgust element and I think like going towards beauty and tradition and nature and church, like that's the opposite of the woke destruction of beauty and disgust and shock value and so on, to find that grace and elevating atmosphere. Because in nature you can look at the trees and the nature and so on and you are part of something and in church you are part of something and you get to be graceful and accepted instead of this like because i feel like victimhood and self-exploiting in woke stuff like you can gain so much from it but you are always like degrading yourself by self-exploitation so i think the silence and the nature and the church and everything is the opposite of that because it gives you grace hmm. and that graceful way of being. So I think that's the biggest thing I found in that. And I think in running, it's more about just celebrating what my body can do than judging my body based on anything it's just more of like being capable of something. And when I run, I I like to listen to like running playlists that are just awful, like, like just bad music and like remix of a bad song on full volume. And then I kind of like try to like, I, I like to it, imagine that I'm a video game character, like on a video game when you run as a character. And then I'm running and in the forest and with the paths. 
I'm like, I'm the character and I'm like, okay, jumping and doing these things. And like, like I'm just doing that and I'm the doing and being, and I'm not the thinking over analyzing theoretical thoughts. I'm just, <laughs> and then I find that a lot of times after running, like the things that I've been thinking about, they are solved on their own and they are solved in the physical movement. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's... But I don't know how to put any of that into, into anything. Well, go for a run. The idea will present itself to you, maybe. Yeah. And it's funny because one of the art pieces that I really like and that kind of like inspired me to go through towards arts, it was a video about a Finnish ultra marathon runner. And it was a video of him running one mile uh, track in New York in a park for one week. So it's a running competition where it lasts one week, then who runs the most wins. And then he, I think he has won that multiple times and he run like 300 laps or something. I don't know. But he's just going and going and going. And then it's a like an artistic documentation of that. Yeah. And I went to the art museum to see it multiple times because I loved it so much. And then a few years later, I actually met the runner in real life and I asked him about the the video art piece and he said oh yeah it was so funny because in the video there's sky and there's airplanes and there's New York and there's all these things all I can remember is the path the one mile path because he's looking at the path and he's running and he sees nothing else and he was like oh it's a cool video I saw things I didn't see when I was running there <laughs> why did you love it so much what was it what was the feeling that it gave you I think the the meditation, the, the like the meditative state of running. And I think because I have like overactive mind and it never shuts up, then I think like throughout my life, I've tried to find something to silence it. And the eating disorder and the like addictive behaviors and restricting behaviors and blackout drinking and trying to become someone else and dissociated like it has all been like ways of trying to get out of my head but i think running is the best healthiest way <laughs> i've found to be in my body and just be just uh, silent in my head <laughs> so i think that's why it it's something that draws me back again and again and again. But I, I think I think your your story is actually uh, quite universal. Most of us, I think, all of us are here uh, to learn how to be a person, and we go through different ways of not doing that. And then you kind of hit your stride at some point. And you're like, oh, my job is just to be a person. I'm just a person. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that too. And I think that like having that perspective that I started to think like, okay, so I'm just a person doing person things and I'm trying to grow up and become an adult, but I just did youth and being young in a kind of hardcore way and just going to very like absolutes in everything that I did. But now I view it more like I'm growing as a person and I just did being young very uh, on my own way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, I'm trying to become an adult now. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's fun, but it's also challenging <laughs> because in a lot of ways I had to grow up very early but because of that I didn't grow up and because I didn't get to be a child then I didn't learn how to be an adult I yeah. ended up in this weird thing yeah so well I I I feel honored and blessed to be able to interact with you especially over time like our our talks are always wonderful just to have the talk, but also just to participate in watching you do that human thing of developing. A part of a person is that they develop, they go through time, they figure out things, they're in a place and they're not in that place anymore and they move to another place. And sometimes they see where they want to go and they make it there. Sometimes they don't see that and they end up there anyways, you know, but um, just watching you in your natural state as a human. Kind of like looking in, looking, uh, kind of peering into your little bird cage, you know, like checking in on Vera, like what's going on in the yeah, her life way far away. I think being part of, like, I guess my generation and people younger than me, I think probably the hardest challenge now, like becoming an adult, is to let go of the narcissism of the youth. Because, like, everything celebrates, like, self-centeredness yeah. and that very narcissistic view of, like, me, 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 me. And, like, I think that's also like very big challenge to me now. And I think that the silence thing and being part of the world is, like, in my thesis, I wrote about that, that silence is about being part of something larger than you and it can be in nature or in church or in an art gallery or a museum or like connecting to history or whatever like being part of something and when you are silent you are being instead of like centering yourself and yeah 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 but i don't I want think to make them what I, I think I'm still in that process of... Yeah, yeah. One thing, uh, uh, not to make it about me, but learning how to be silent allows me to listen to other people so other people can be the one alive, the one expressing, and I get to be the, the one witnessing, like audience num member number one. But So in in a sense... I perform silence. It's called listening, but it's basically like silence or like kind of like a tense 
or like a, a ready, a ready silence, a silence that's on. So it's not like passive, it's not invisible, but it is silence. Yeah. But it's the silence yeah, that, that allows for, for activity, for life, for engagement, for the other. Yeah, that's kind of also what I was thinking when I was writing my thesis and talking about silence in that sense that because in Finland, like historically, we have this culture of silence. We don't have a small talk culture. We don't uh, talk yeah. to people. And it's all about like independence and silence. And you are on your own from cradle to grave. And either you make it or you don't and so on and so on. Except we have welfare state. So it's you and the state. <laughs> Weirdly <Eek>. enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's me and my orphan benefits from the state. But anyways, so I... I was thinking about that silence that it's not this suppressing things or hiding things or denying things or silencing. Like in a lot of like political sense, there's all this like silence is violence and blah, blah, blah. And silence is problematized. But I was thinking that silence is full in itself and I wrote something that in silence also the absence of something is present because absence of something or someone is always present anyway. So in silence you acknowledge everything that is absent, that is still the absence is present. Like for example, in my case, uh, it's usually my parents and their absence. So their absence is always present and in silence I can make space for it and accept that instead of like fighting against them or denying them or rejecting them or making so something out of them or explaining them or anything but just like having that silent acceptance of things and the silent is not empty but it's full and that that's also like what I came back to, like nature and church and libraries and museums and art galleries, even those are like the spaces to come together and be in silence, but it's not empty silence and it's not the lack of something or something missing, but it's full and the silence is a place for possibilities and coming together and being together in just being. Yeah. Because then there is nothing like creating some sort of friction or something. Can but I, ask I guess you a, that's very, uh, what? Can I ask you a personal question? Yes. Um, every once in a while, when we're talking, you get teary. Um, and it's about your pain or your loss. I'm wondering over the years, how has your relationship changed to that sorrow? I don't know what the word you would use to that, but every once in a while you, you, it comes out of you. I'm wondering how your relationship to, to loss has changed as you've matured and gotten more accustomed to yourself and, and to time and to family and lineage. I think, well, I, I mean, I think, well, the theory I 
thing. I think it has a lot of a lot to do with my hormones, but also it like I am sensitive person. I changed my hormone patch today because <laughs> I have to be on artificial hormones. Yeah. Forever, but uh, yeah, but I think when I was younger, I saw that as a weakness, like being sensitive, and that came from my very strict, very old-fashioned upbringing that I. I hated myself for being weak and because I, as a kid I was punished for crying but now I'm I'm more upset uh, accepting of it and like even as a young adult I still had the punishing internal voice like if I got emotional or sensitive or something then I was punishing myself and with a lot of like uh, self-harming behaviors and so on and so on then it would always like backfire on me but now i'm more upset ac accepting that i am sensitive and when it comes to loss and so on i'm accepting that it is what it is and like i'm okay that there are things that are always going to be painful like, I can put things into perspective and I can find, like, positive spin on things and so on. But, like, there is still always some sort of sorrow and pain. And now I'm not trying to run away from it or to hide from it or to uh, self-harm or to get into some sort of like addictive behaviors to avoid that or something but I'm able to sit with it and be like like what happened with my parents and so on like it, it's always going to be sad and I'm okay with that yeah. and like the absence of them is always present and like i'm okay with that and like yes it makes me emotional and sad but it, like it's it is what it is and i i don't feel like i have to change that somehow like i'm no longer like an open wound and just like throwing up my pain ever wherever i go and all of that but now i'm able to like, just be with that. And I I think a lot of times other people also somehow, like, sense or recognize that in me, that I can handle, uh, like, sadness or heaviness or something, I don't know. And a lot of times people also, like, open up to me about their trauma or loss or uh like if they know someone who attempted or committed suicide or something and i think there is that like kind of beauty in that in that sense that like i've accepted that it is what it is and like it's part of life and like i can connect with people on that that we all share some like 
heaviness and sorrow and loss and so on. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah. And I think it made a lot easier for me to accept everything when I accepted that, yeah, I can't be sad about this. And, like, about one year ago, I got, a, like, a luggage full of my dad's things from my grandma. And I didn't know that much about my dad. And I I got all of these things. Like, it was, like, a full luggage of papers and pictures and all of these things. And I I had this evening that I... I looked at everything, I read everything, and I cried, and I cried. Yeah. But it's... It is... Like, even when it's, like, painful, it's still good to, like, have some sort of connection to them, even though I don't have, like, that many memories of them or anything, but to know that I didn't come from, like, out of thin air. I didn't create myself. Like, mm. They were there. Yeah. In my thesis uh, art piece, because I did the, like, a written thesis, and then the art piece, because it was too uh, part, uh, I made this, like, a uh, installation of two videos and audio piece, and it was this, like, installation of all of them together, and then the audio piece was this, like, a voice message, and at the beginning, it's, it's unclear, like, who am I talking to, and it's about the experience of being seen and being witnessed and so on and so on, and then at the end of it, I said, like, Good night, mom, and good night, dad. And I'm gonna leave you to rest now because I have done a lot of artwork, uh, like attacking my parents, like when I was younger, and like I've done very like um, uh, like mm, well, I did one like poetry collection thing where I kind of like reclaimed their deaths uh that i wrote it in a way that i killed them oh wow yeah and i yeah. i guess like it, it was a way to have like ownership of that loss and i did like punch off art projects throughout the years throughout different art schools and so on and through poetry and photography and so on. And now at the end of this like voice note, I I said like good night. And I, I made that to be the the last ever mention of them. Like I'm no longer going to be uh exploiting them in that way. Like even though it wasn't exploiting, but it was me just processing my own things like in whatever way I could but still I wanted to like like make a statement to say like this is the end and it was funny because 
after I had done that and we had the graduate exhibition, I went to see a theater play that was uh, based on a book that was written by a bastard child of a famous uh, Finnish man, and that this a bastard child was not recognized by the dad, and the dad was like powerful, famous man, and so on and so on. And I went to see this theater play based on this book, and that theater play also ended up in a song where they said like "good night," and then I was like, yeah, this like this is the closure for this story in my artist mind. It was funny that those happened like unknowingly at the same time. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I think the accepting life for what it is and acknowledging, like what I said earlier, that uh, like uh, unusual life stories are usual. Like throughout the history and in a global scale, I'm not the first or the last orphan. You know, it's there's always going to be people losing people. Like that's just life. And like letting go of the self-centered victimhood and narcissism and uh, being like me, 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 me. I'm entitled to this and this and that because all of these hardships and so on. And just understanding that. We all go through some shit, so I think that also, like, I'm allowed to be sad about this, but that doesn't make me special. This is banal and normal, and it's part of life. Mm. So I think that it's them change, because I think throughout my life, like, the overarching theme of my life has been me trying to become someone else and to get freed of myself and who I am and where I come from and so on and so on. And the entire rejection of everything. And that's why I was so drawn to these ideologies that also come from the same source of rejection and hatred and so on. So. So when you look at the future, what are you excited about? What do you want to do next? Uh... Oh, I'm going to be traveling, which is going to be cool because in my New Year's resolution videos, oh, in my New Year's resolution video for this year, I said that I need to start dating because I realized that I'm 30. I need to, I can't wait until I'm ready. And then I realized like, oh shit, like monogamous people are going to be out of the dating pool. Like I need to start dating now. I can't wait. Otherwise I'm going to be left with the polyamorous queer people and I don't want that. So then. I started dating and I met my girlfriend and we are actually engaged now. So that happened. And in the same New Year's resolution video, I talked about traveling and with this one specific trip in mind and it's going to happen, which is very cool. And that's going to be a big deal. And I'm happy for that. And I I actually got a, a stipend, a grant when I graduated. So I was able to buy the flights. So. And I'm excited for that. And I'm excited to uh, be done with renovating this apartment, which is a complete disaster currently. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my girlfriend moving in and us uh, planning our future and life together and a wedding and everything 
everything. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> and also, yeah, the like professionally, I still don't know what am I doing with my life, but either I'm just going to work some job and do arts on the side, or I'm going to try to apply for the grants and deal with the art world, or I'm going to study hairdressing, who knows. But I feel like now I'm in a such a good place in my life that it starts to feel like everything that has happened in my life, it, it was like a bad dream. And now I can just leave. <laughs> and I'm now more just living life, which is great. And I'm so happy I graduated because I dropped out from four yeah. different schools before this. You so dragged I that whole thing out as long as you possibly could. I guess you could have gone further, but I'm glad you tied that. Yeah. Up. And I will get my student loan forgiveness. That was a huge motivator to graduate on time and to graduate, first of all, so that I can get like a big portion of my student loans forgiven. So yeah. I'm happy yeah. that I'm able to do that. But like now I'm in general in a good place in my life and I can be excited about normal life things. And like with my girlfriend, we've done like such normal things, but I've been like baffled by doing normal things. Like we went to this like street food festival and then I didn't problematize things. I just bought food and ate it. And we saw this stand that had like uh, chocolate covered strawberries and fruits. And they had a sign that said, no vegan, no gluten-free, no dairy-free, just good old-fashioned chocolate and fruits. So I guess the vegans have already attacked them for selling chocolate-covered fruits. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so happy that I don't have to be attacking them. I don't have to problematize this. Like, I can buy chocolate-covered strawberries with my girlfriend and eat them, and I can just enjoy life. Like, what is this? And now that we were, we were traveling, we visited a zoo. And I don't think I've ever been to a zoo because I was a vegan activist for so long. So of course I didn't go to zoos. And I was like, I'm in a zoo. I have never seen animals like this, these animals. And I was like, this is like, what is this? And I was like, don't problematize now. Don't problematize now. And it's still like a process of like, just enjoy life. Okay, just enjoy life. But it was interesting because I was in uh, Vienna, in Austria, and they had all these like imperial museum, imperial this, imperial that. And to me, it seemed like they are not giving into the woke, hating themselves type of thing, because everything was like, this is our grand history and we are rich nation. So it was nice and beautiful city like a lot of history and culture yeah. and so on and then they judge you for your tattoos yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> that's but the flip I side mean, we, we were in a lot of like touristy areas so it was people all over the world so uh, it wasn't the people from austria but it was just everyone oh yeah, okay yeah yeah but i mean that's in a lot of places when i was in new york i bumped into the same homeless person multiple times and like we were in the underground and the homeless person was like counting how many matching tattoos we have and then i was like yeah okay like 
okay, like we, okay, we can have this moment together. Why not? But then I was like, okay, but do I want to attract this type of crowd to hang yeah. out with me and to connect with me? Like, and then in some parts of New York, I really felt judged and some others I didn't. So, I, I mean, I think it's everywhere that the stigma for tattoos, it's still a thing. Yeah. Well, I guess you can get them removed after you get a huge artist grant. Yeah, I already got tattoos removed from my head behind my ears. Extremely painful. Painful, yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. Extremely painful, extremely expensive. Yeah. Would not recommend. I mean, I wouldn't recommend getting like visible tattoos and not being able to cover them. Well, Vera, thank you very much for your evening. The sky went from bright to dim as we spoke. I can see it in your reflection. Yeah, it's uh, raining now. Oh, well, there you go. And I'm, I'm so happy for you that you have a partner coming and that you'll have a fuller life and that your life's growing and expanding. And I will knock on your door. We don't have to talk every year, but I'll knock on your door because um, people ask about you too. They're like, how's Vera doing? Have her back on. So, ah, okay. Always great to have you. <laughs> yeah, I I try to decide what to do with my own YouTube channel, like whether am I like committing to it or not. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> of course, I couldn't finish it without sneezing. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to end the recording now. Okay.